Hi, everyone. Welcome to the How to Raise podcast episode. The How to two. Raise podcast. How to Raise podcast. Oh. Okay. Take two. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast. This is part two of the factors that put people off buying a property. We covered a whole load in part one. We felt we needed a breather. Simon, Simon, who's Simon? Nigel <laughs> needed a brew. Nigel needed a brew. <laughs> <laughs> leave it in leave it in let's carry on nigel if you can carry on let's carry on nigel is carrying on I'm, I'm dipping a rich tea biscuit into my tea and it's melted let's carry on right there are several factors for people off buying a property and this is part two part two so his name is fred and my name's simon welcome to the show let's go Woo! <laughs> oh dear uh enjoy it folks we um, <laughs> yeah I, i'd like to say it's getting late in the day but it's early in the morning so it, <laughs> we're not even there anyway enjoy it folks um uh yeah see you soon <laughs> perfect we nailed it welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Okay. Next thing uh, is uh, uncertainty about the future, such as uh, economic stability or job security or job insecurity. Well, again, these are, these are, uh, I suppose, things, again, it's like this perception of something. Is it is it too expensive or is it complicated? Well, again, it's all down to perception. Um, we've had economic instability for Gosh, Nigel, how many years have we had economic instability for? Um, I think about since you were a lad, thirteen to fourteen thousand years. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, we've mentioned before about the economic clock, and the economic clock has been, uh, I suppose, symbolised for for over five hundred years. What happens next? You know, when interest rates go up, what happens next? When interest rates go down, what happens next? And so on and so on. So this, again, this instability, it's all perception. It's all in the mind because, again, there are parts of the, the country where people will say there's economic instability and there are parts of the country that are absolutely booming. So it, it is purely subjective as to what you think is, uh, is what uncertainty is. And, again, the press will do a fabulous job in stoking that. They will do a fabulous job. You know, I, I, somebody once put it to me, I heard probably on a training course or something but you know these stock market um ticker ticker tapes not what they're called what they call the tickers that goes around and it shows you the share price and the and it moves around and the share price is either in red or it's in green because it's gone up or it's gone down somebody once said if you had one of those in every house and it said this is the value of your house today it's gone up it's gone down it's gone up it's gone down it's the mental health fallout pandemic fallout would be incredible you know because I mean, there was a, an article last week just um, in, I think it was one of the Sunday papers. I took a screenshot of it, actually, um, because it said uh, January the 9th, 2023, this house was worth 575,000. January the 30th, 500,000. It's gone down by 13%. 
And then it had one February the 1st, 2023, 1.55 million in London. Later, same day, 1.35 million, down 12% in just one day. <laughs> then there was another one, October 2021, It was this house was for sale at 19.5 million. I mean, it's huge. Uh, September 22, on the market, 10 million. <laughs> You're down by 40%. And then finally, January the 10th, 1.15 million. January the 30th, 1 million, down by 13%. And it had the big red arrow, you know, pointing down. And the 13% or the 14% or whatever it was, a huge big red number, you know, with the big down arrow. Um, and then equally, you can turn the page and you see property with green arrows saying this property was worth this and now it's so it's sold for that you know it was marketed at this but it's sold for that and you know all of us will remember during lockdown when everybody thought the property market was going to absolutely collapse but it didn't property prices went bonkers especially for a particular type of property people seem to be moving out of the cities and they seem to be looking for properties with gardens that sort of thing so the uncertainty about the future, uh, the economic stability was all sort of knocked on its head because uh, the reality of what happened was completely different to the perception of what people thought was going to happen. And that's, you know, that is the story of property throughout the ages, Nigel. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, this sort of thing, uh, for goodness sake, uh, you know, you've got to be, you've got to work with the fact that everything's uncertain. But trends will show that there is actually some fundamental certainty. And when people start talking about, oh, well, if this happens, that happens and all the rest of it, you go, well, if we're there, then the zombies are coming down the street. And uh, really, we've got other things to worry about than, uh, you know, Zoopla and Rightmove or, or something like that. So it's one of these things, folks. Um, industries come and go. Uh, things boom and, and don't. Uh, and I know a lot of people um, sort of in South Yorkshire, they built the or, or they opened up an old RAF base as an airport, massive, massive distribution centers uh, in there. And we thought there was going to be a lot of air freight and uh, activity. And a lot of the house prices went up because of that. And then the airport, the operators have closed it down. And now there's a, a worry that, uh, you know, is it still going to have a, a demand for it? And you'll just find that the property gets repurposed into something else or you do something else with it. So I think here, folks, your knowledge of property strategies is going to be, you know, tools that other people won't have. And you'll be able to see the value in something when those people with a very narrow idea of what you can do with the property start devaluing it and and you can say well as that one goes down yes but we can repurpose it into this and we can uh you know the value to us is incredibly high so i think it's uh an, a knowledge thing on that but um leading on to that i think is another factor here ray which is people are always scared of making a bad investment or getting a bad deal and yes mm. i i totally get it so the the premise of the podcast was how can you do you know, get to your half million fund to do a really big deal in the future. How, how can you get there quicker doing smaller deals? And this is probably one that um, you can mitigate the risks of any property thing if you increase the timeline. 
So if you make the time scale where you're wanting or needing a return to crystallize the position, to get your money out, move on, the longer that time scale is, the lower the risk. Because we've seen over a thousand years, the property prices, uh, you know, just just keep going up and up and up in uh, the UK. And yes, some areas go up quicker than others, but you know, I know people are sort of always thinking, I don't want to make a bad investment. Someone once said to me, Ray, and it's it's wholly inappropriate for me, given how I look on YouTube here. Uh, they said, they said a bad property deal is like a bad haircut. It grows out eventually. Um, now, I had a bad haircut a good 20 odd years ago, and, and sadly, it's never grown back. Uh, so there we go. So maybe that's not the greatest analogy, but I know what they mean. You know, you can have a haircut. You can think, oh, my God, that's terrible. That's embarrassing. I didn't go out without, a, you know, a, a brown paper bag on my head or something. Uh, I don't want people to see me. You know, I've made a terrible investment and all the rest of it. I think people, when they're in that position, are just expecting their hair to grow back the following day. And mm. realistically, we know it's not. It's going to take a few months, a few weeks, a few months yep. or whatever. And with property... Fear of making a bad investment, okay? You could have bought a house in London in Mayfair, I don't know, 40 years ago for a million pounds, and people go, that is the worst investment ever. And yet 40 years on, I don't know, it could be worth 50 million now. And and that timescale, you know, has is, is, is worked in your favor. So bad investment, bad deal, I think it's tied in with the timescale. But Look at the other factors. If you're worried about something, there are loads of property deals out there to be made, to be done. Don't feel, uh, we've mentioned this before, haven't we, Ray? We find that people often sort of fudge the numbers to make it work because they've almost got a, a sort of a personal, uh, a personal sort of uh, attachment to the property or, or whatever. I, I think in... On this podcast episode, folks, we're saying, okay, be objective, be dispassionate, don't get emotionally attached to these things, make the decision for the right reasons. And if you do feel it is a bad investment, if you do think it is a bad deal, walk away, walk away, or turn around and offer them a ridiculously low, sort of an embarrassingly low, if it doesn't make you feel uncomfortable, you haven't offered low enough. Um, well, so go and try that. I, I've done it in the past. Um, I, I remember the estate agent. I said, I'd like to offer this. And the estate agent went, pardon. And I said, I'd like to offer that. Well, that's outrageous. This is terrible. This is a disgrace. I don't know how you have the barefaced cheek to say, do something like that. You, you're a despicable person. I went, oh, blimey. That's a bit harsh. Two minutes later, the phone back and they said, uh, yeah, the person said, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, and the agent, and the agent was uh, all sweetness and light um, sort of thing. And and uh, do you know what my first thought was? I should have offered lower. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but but there you go. Folks, if you don't think it sounds good, don't do it. Simple. All right. All right. Well, fear to make about it. I mean, everybody's been through that and everyone's probably done something similar, but um uh, yeah, it does. It, it 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 puts people off. There's there's no there's no denying. Um, what else puts people off is the next one, which is limited financing options. 
or dif difficulty securing a mortgage? Well, again, it all comes down to what you know. It all comes down to what you know. It all comes down to who you know. Um, because you hear of people saying, well, I'm, I'm going to save up. The government are going to help me with the help to buy whatever it is, or I'm going to, you know, put my money into an ISA or something like that. You know, no, these are not the, that, that's the very long, slow approach to getting property. I mean, you know, and I know, Nigel, many, many people who've developed portfolios using OPM, other people's money. And they use, that person with the money uses OPT, other people's time. There are many, many ways to buy property. We won't go into it here, but you know, there's all sorts of joint ventures that can be done and, and so on and so on. And also, the pendulum has swung in the last few years from individuals buying properties now to companies buying property. Um, I was reading the other day about the stamp duty figures that were out because obviously there's an additional price uh, paid by people who already own property. So we're looking at developers, um, people that want to do buy-to-lets, all massively down massively down because the government has stepped in with various changes in the law to make it more difficult for landlords. And you think, well, it's, you know, the government are landlord bashing. The government are really, I think, trying to get rid of bad landlords. I think that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it a lot more corporate. And it seems to me that the, that the people who know what they're doing are good landlords. They follow the rules. They, you know, they're the, the latest thing is the energy performance certificates. They're getting these things all, all, uh, you know, stabilized and improved. So when it comes to getting mortgages, it comes to getting loans. There's plenty of money out there. It's all still available. You know that. I know that. We we constantly go on about that each week. That there's definitely ways that uh, people can fund a property transaction. So do not let that put you off. If you're listening to this, chances are good that you're already involved in property and you know about this. But if, you've, if you're not involved in property and you haven't listened to us before, where have you been? But also, uh, there are many, many ways to fund something. And if you're in any doubt or you're uncertain in any way, give us a shout. Hello at htrmoney.co.uk and we'll always get back to you. Nigel. Yeah, right, right. Just, the final uh, well, just adding to that, folks, uh, remember that there are some properties uh, in certain conditions that are what they call unmortgageable. So if you find a property and there is no kitchen, it is uninhabitable and someone's ripped out the kitchen. It's not there. There's no bathroom um, and it goes up for sale. The, the agents will say, oh, by the way, you won't be able to get a mortgage on this because, you know, some of the mortgage rules, they, they don't lend on things that you can't move into. Um because I, I don't know, there's probably some technical reason it's not an inhabitable house or something or other uh, and all the rest of it. But what that means is you can get that at a lower price because effectively you are ruling out anyone anyone that had to get standard mortgage finance to purchase the property. And you may well find that uh, a bit of knowledge, a plumber, electrician and a, a £2,000 kitchen uh, suddenly could add you know, 10, 20,000 to a property. Why? Because you no longer have to be a cash buyer for that property. You can actually finance it. So there are opportunities out there, especially when uh, agents say, you know, they put the asterisks up and say, this is cash buyers only. Um, don't turn up if you've just bobbed down to Santander to get your, you know, your mortgage quote. It, it won't fly sort of thing. So look out for those as well. Um, okay, finally, um, 
this is a, always an amazing one. And again, we we said be dispassionate, be objective, don't get emotionally attached. But people do buy properties because they like them. They like the look of them. They like the configuration. They like the location. They like all the rest of it. And here's the weird thing. They are never, ever intending to live in it. And you sort of think, wow, that's amazing. So you've bought a property that you like on the basis that you will never live in it, but you only bought it because you like it. So there's a high demand for it. So what do I mean by that? The ugly houses, the ones that people wouldn't live in, even though they've got no intention of living in it, even though they can't see the layout and stuff, um, you know, they don't like it. There's no garden. Uh, it's up against an industrial unit. It's uh, only got a small driveway. It's got no garage. Uh, it's it's a, a bungalow. It's three stories. It's all these things. And, and these weird properties uh, tend to put people off because it rules out anyone wanting to live in it as such because they think it's an ugly house. I don't want that one. And so the demand drops. And then you have people who... Um, buy properties for investment purposes who only buy things that they would you know like the look of and again it rules a number of people out so you can find the the ugly duckling um and and potentially get it as ray said right at the beginning square footage basis you can get it at a discount to the other properties on the street your skill then is to give it curb appeal and potentially reconfigure internally to make it a much better property so we all see the tv shows they go in you've got a tiny kitchen a massive downstairs loo an enormous entrance uh hall or something and nobody ever uses those bits they take a couple of walls out they stick an island in the middle they put a nice looking kitchen some slidey doors and suddenly they've added 70 grand to it um yeah and and this is it folks if you've got the imagination don't necessarily pick a property that you would live in yourself. Pick a property that, you know, is in demand, a configuration that is in demand, because mm -hmm. you can take a property, you know what you're doing. You can make, a, you know, some simple, quick tweaks to it. So you see the number of people that change a downstairs to be a big open plan. And uh, they add a tremendous amount of money to it. And what what have they actually done? They've taken a couple of walls out, changed the electrics, skimmed a few walls, painted it, and installed a new kitchen. And mm. they haven't done anything fundamental, but the uh, the sort of the less well educated people out there think that this has been a major renovation. Whereas you've gone in, you've turned it around in twelve weeks, and boom. You've added some money. And the whole purpose of this podcast episode was to try and give you some ideas to get in, make some decent, chunky money by picking up properties that other people are put off from buying. You get in, do something clever, do something quickly and uh, be able to flip it, you know, move it on and, and make some chunks of money that will help you get towards that big pot that will enable you to do your big, your big sort of uh, on the wish list, the number one on the wish list sort of thing. So, yeah, right. I mean, interesting, isn't it? Interesting. 
Very interesting. Um, so let's just kind of run down the list before we tell everyone what they about your you you, may, you teased at the beginning about yes. uh, something that we were going to say at the end. So oh, there are yes. several factors put people off from buying a property, and we'll do our usual top ten. Not off, mate. Um, high asking price, unaffordable cost. Second, poor location or neighbourhood. Third, property condition or need for extensive repair renovations. The next one is lack of desirable features or amenities. We then talked about negative perceptions about the local housing market the difficult or lengthy purchasing process, complicated paperwork. And I said, if you get in touch with me, I can put you in touch with the law firm that do it wonderfully. Uh, We talked about uncertainty, about the future, job security or economic stability, then about fear of making a bad investment. We then talked about limited financing options or difficulty securing a mortgage. And one thing I forgot to say there, Nigel, was that if a house or property is unmortgageable, it could get a bridging loan until such time as a mortgage was approved. We've done that recently. So that can happen. And then we talked about personal preferences or lifestyle factors such as the size or layout of the property. Now, Nigel, the big reveal. What is this thing that has gone from demon to angel in the space of mere weeks in the property market? Okay, if I mention two words, a Japanese knotweed, you know, (laughs) this was one that that struck terror into, uh, into the hearts of many a person either buying or selling, uh, fears of liabilities, the thing falling apart, this monster weed, lifting it up and literally walking it down the street and dumping it into uh, into a quarry or something like that. All sorts of connotations to it. Well, here we go, folks. I was reading an article recently, and this is, um, here we go. It says, right, first of all, what is it? What is it? Uh, If you don't know what it is, it's deemed an invasive plant that spreads quickly. If you go online, you will see horror stories galore. It is still, I believe, notifiable that you have it. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to tell the local authority and what have you so that they're aware of it. And one of the things that people always said was, uh, you know, this is going to be, it's going to ruin the value of a house. You can't get rid of it. You can't get a mortgage. Um, Your house price is, you know, halved in value. It's going to grow through the concrete. It's going to split this. It's going to do that. Um, and if it gets into the neighbours, you may well be sued and all the rest of it. And, it, you know, basically a horror story. Well, here we go. What it says is the dreaded weed may no longer be such a danger to the value of your home. And you're probably thinking, oh, right. Why? It, who who thinks that? Is, that? is that a tweet that somebody's put out there or is there a substance behind it? Well, here we go. The Royal Institution of Chartered Surveyors, RICS as we know them as really, for example, updated its guidance earlier this year saying that its risks are now acknowledged to be much less than originally supposed. Its research found more damage is in fact caused to houses by trees as well as woody plants such as ivy and buddleia. Japanese knotweed, this is a quote, may damage lightweight structures, but is it, it is extremely rare for it to threaten the foundations or walls. It does not destroy houses or grow through solid concrete, said Philip Santo, a chartered surveyor who helped draw up the trade body's new guidelines. All right, what does this mean, folks? Well, if you get Japanese knotweed and stuff out there, then there is a way of treating it. Yes, you've got to get specialists in. Yes, it might call you, cause you know cost you sorry anything between fifteen hundred and say five thousand pounds plus VAT. But what it often does um, is it 
you are injecting uh so you you see uh various chemicals and you're injecting it into the kind of the rhizome the the rooty bit sort of thing and you do this over a prolonged period it will um restrict it and and eventually kill it if there is um excavation that needs doing then that is again it it's a bit like asbestos removal you've got to be careful you can't leave bits lying around you can't just have a go with a spade and and dig it out because all you'll do is you'll chop it up you'll spread it and each one of those little bits will grow again but it says that you shouldn't fear it if you have it you know if you've found it in the garden now proof of the pudding uh the proof is not in the pudding folks the proof of the pudding is in the eating and the in the eating bit here is what do mortgage companies think about it and what they're saying is okay if you um so you've got to declare the presence of the weed on the property via a TA6 property information form provided mm -hmm. by lawyers. So you've got to declare it if you're buying or selling. But it says most mortgage lenders are now usually happy to proceed with the sale, even if the plant is known to be growing on the property, as long as a fully financed not weed management plan is in plan is in place. So the treatment company use one of the um trade associations or the invasive non-native specialist association or the property care association full of facts here folks um the banks all want to see that and if they see that and the time frame it's usually five or ten years then that's okay so nationwide which is uh, britain's biggest uh, building society said if not weed is causing material damage to a structure or is visible near the property, then it requires borrowers to put a treatment plan in place with an insurance-backed five-year warranty. Um, Japanese knotweed is not the mortgage lending nemesis many think it is, said Martin Stewart of Brokers London Money. So here's an example. Uh, some guy uh, found a two-bed flat in London. Uh, he saw that it had it. He uh, The sellers were keen for a quick sale. Uh, he reduced the asking price. They reduced the asking price. He offered less. He paid for a 10-year treatment plan, which was about four grand, and he sold it he sold it on a year later, and he, he made about 30-odd thousand pounds just by doing that. So here you go, folks. There's one. Everyone is worried about knotweed. The internet will take years and years and years for the knotweed terror to uh, to drop down the the search engine results so there is potentially uh, an opportunity and here we go it, the, the final thing that they say is when you google knotweed it can sound terrifying but in reality it's fine speak to an expert who can get rid of it for you i wouldn't be put off buying another property because of it said the guy who made the money you know buying and selling one with it so there you go, folks, you know, get that knowledge, get out there, um, ask your local estate agents, if you've got any properties that, you know, you suspect have got Japanese knotweed, um, get in there. You could probably get it at a big discount to other properties on the street and you treat it. And it is by all accounts, you know, mortgageable. And, and so there's no reason why you couldn't make maybe uh, raise some money by buying and selling properties that have got Japanese knotweed. So there you go. That that was a big reveal, Ray. Pretty valuable, really. <laughs> well, it is a valuable reveal because, uh, yeah, with, 
anytime you see knotweed, you're just going to immediately be put off, but not now, you know? So there you are. So another reason not to be put off property. So if you are listening to this and you're thinking, right, I'm going to dive into the property market, um, give us a shout if you want to... Uh, us to point you in the right direction, hello at htrmoney.co.uk and we'll certainly help. We'll point you in the direction of where you can go, take your next step, that sort of thing. If you are looking to raise finance, give us a shout as well because we can point you in the direction of the people that people that have money, the firms and brokers that are looking to do business. And if you have an unusual property project, give us a shout and I'm sure we can help. That, that is it all from me. I've been Ray McLennan. I'm still Nigel T. Best. Thank you very much, folks. A great day. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is... Who has yours?